basic instructions before leaving earth. This is Bible Radio, the internet radio ministry of Calvary Chapel St. Paul in Minnesota. And this is Sunday Morning Live. Calvary Chapel St. Paul is a non-denominational church dedicated to the teaching and living out of God's Word. And now, Sunday Morning Live. Hey, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13 and 14 this morning. Finish up 13, go right into 14. Go from right there. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. I just ask God that you would uh, lead and guide and direct. Uh, that your Holy Spirit is the one that teaches each and every one of us. So Lord, I pray that uh, it's one message, but God, that you teach each and every one of us what we need to know and apply and live it out in our lives. And Lord, that we would leave here today more on fire, more convicted, more committed, more submitted, more in love with you than when we came here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we go through, as we finish up Acts 13 here, going into chapter 14. And so they left off at uh, verse 43 last week. And Paul and Barnabas, uh, who's speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. What does that look like? Remember, when Barnabas went and found Saul at, at uh at uh, Tarsus, he evidenced the grace of God, said, hey, let's go back to Antioch. And we're just reading page from page to page, but realize from chapters 13 all the way to chapter, uh, the end of chapter 14, took a minimum of two years, probably more than two years, but took a minimum of two years to accomplish this. So if you go back, if you have a hard copy, it's called a Bible, and you go back to your pages that are stuck together, here's all types of maps and that you can look at, you can see their possible journeys. Uh, some have gotten into discussion like, well, I don't think that's the route they took or whatever. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> they made it to those cities, all right? We know the routes and the direction that they went, but the actual, you know, how they, how they got there. But understand this, this was on foot. Some of the places they sailed, so, you know, they didn't have the Lexus and BMW chariots, you know, wasn't just cruising down the road and bypassing. This, this took some time. And so they persuaded some. And then the next Sabbath... Uh, uh, day came, and almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. So Paul, again, going, uh, Barnabas and, and Saul, but now we see that he takes on Paul. He's starting to be called Paul here. That's the Greek derivative of his, uh, uh, of his Hebrew name, Saul. And so here now they want to hear the word of God. And when the Jews, and what word of God? Not them. Not them being prophets and saying whatever comes out of my mouth is the word of God. They're taking what you and I call the Old Testament. For some to say that we don't need the Old Testament, how are we going to understand the New Testament? As I explained to my Jewish friends there, he says, I, I, I don't like that you guys' Bible, you know, you have more books of the Bible. As I explained to him, I said, well, you know how you have a, like a, a school book and it, and it has all the questions in the front and then you need the answer key? Where's the answer key? It goes in the back. That's all the New Testament is. It's the answer key. And he still, to this day, non-believer, but he still takes his Bible around and goes, I have all the answers. I have all the answers. Like, yes, you do. You need to learn the answers, but yes, you have all the answers. So what are they teaching them? They're teaching them the word of God. In fact, uh, go with me, keep your fingers here, and go with me to uh, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that which the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses uh, unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria 
and the uttermost parts of the world. You realize they've already accomplished the first 10, 12 years in Jerusalem. And now we're going to see from, uh, uh, we're going to see from chapters 1 through 12, they're going to Judea and they're going to Samaria. And chapters 13 through 28 of Acts is all the uttermost parts of the world. Took us some time to get there, to start going to the uttermost parts of the world. But that's what's happening here. So chapters 1 through 12, that's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, accomplished that. And now chapters 13 through 28. And so now we see them on their first, again, we come up with the title missionary. It's nowhere in the Bible, but they were on a mission. So we say missionary, but they're really out planting churches. And understand this, they weren't free uh, agents. They were sent from the church in Antioch, the Gentile church in Antioch. It says, hey, we got to get this word out. And that's why in chapter 13, it said, set apart for Saul, uh, Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry. And, and that's what Barnabas came back to Paul with. And he says, hey, okay, we get it now. You are called to the Gentiles. And realize they're giving them the word of God. Keep your fingers here and go with me to Isaiah chapter 49. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, it tells us there that, again, the prophecy of going to all of the world. This was never meant to keep to themselves. We see even before the law was given, Abraham was told to what? That all the nations of the world would be blessed by you. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 49. Uh, look at verse 6. I would say let's all read it together, but there's different translations here, so that would be, uh, you know, uh, Galatia here. So we'll just go for that, all right? But I'll read it to you here. And so in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, tells us here, and he said... It is, uh, uh, and he said, it is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that they mayest be, uh, that they mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. That's chapters 13 through 28. Go with me back to chapter 13. And again, uh, back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, that, uh, you know, <laughs> I will bless those who bless you. This was never meant to keep to themselves. That's why Peter and the apostles and the rest of the Jerusalem church, when things are happening in chapter 10 of Acts, and they're going to Cornelius', uh, Cornelius house, it's sort of like, huh, I guess all means all. And he goes back to them in chapters 11 and 12 and says, hey, uh, you know Isaiah 49, 6? I think that means all. You know back in Genesis chapter 12, it says all. You know when Jacob is blessing all his grandkids and telling them that, you know, that you're going to be, again, your seed? Uh, and, and remember when he tells them that, that to David and to Solomon, that my house shall be called a house of prayer for what? All nations. Not all the nations that the Jews will be dispersed to, and again, if you get back to the whole point of God even creating Jews, he says, listen, the world around is going to see how I treat the children of God, and they're going to want that. And there was a way to proselyze. There was a way to bring them into the Jewish faith, but they kept it to themselves. I can understand you're getting punked and beat up by all the nations around you for years. They don't like you as being Jews, and so after a while, you, you don't like them. I mean, that's what Jonah's all about. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. Very prejudiced, hard-hearted. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he, he was afraid that God would forgive them. And he wants them to burn. And so here, they're going to the othermost parts of the world. Go with me back to chapter 13. So they're giving them the word of God. 
This is what they're doing. This is what they're preaching. This is what they're saying. They're not just, they're not just showing up and saying, hey, we got this newfound thing. They said they're showing them the prophecy over and over and over again. And so here, verse 45, Acts 13, but when the Jews saw that the multitudes, that they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Again, as I told you last week, just, just put the word right there. Just write the word, follow the money. Just that sentence right there, follow the money. We're going to see what's going to happen. They're, they're not going to be able to, again, keep their position and status if this is really this. Because in this religion, and you could be Pharisee, hyper-spiritual, or Sadducee, just in Jew and name only, but you still had a status and, and a, an socioeconomic status in life. You were, had a position and if this is turning out to be true, so these unbelieving Jews, then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should first uh, have been spoken to you, but seeing ye uh, put it far from you and judge for yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. I'm, I'm, we're coming to you first, but now we're going to turn to the Gentiles. So, so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be, look at this, for a salvation unto the ends of the earth. Oh, wow, look at that. I was so lucky to quote Isaiah 49.6, but that's also in Isaiah 42.6. It's not, we're not just one verse Charlie's or one verse Charlene's, whatever. We're not just one verse. It's plenty all the way. They're giving them the word of God. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Not, not orally, not in the sense of just hear these words. I'm not speaking as, a, as one saying the words that, I'm, that are coming from my mouth are the words of God. They're actually showing them the words of God. And why go to the Jews first? Because they had the Torah scrolls, is my opinion. To have a synagogue, you had to have 10 devout religious men in that city who wanted to keep Torah, and you needed Torah scrolls. They had the Torah scrolls. They're able to go through all the way through and say, look at this prophecy. Look what's happening here. Look what Isaiah said. This is being fulfilled. And they're able to show them this. Now, remember, the Romans, again, have taken over for the Greeks, so they're going to give Roman names to all the Greek gods. They just <laughs> co-opted uh, uh, the Greeks' uh, mythology and made it their own. There's nothing new here. And so they, they, they're telling them all these things, but yet it's different. There is no works of literature. There is no religious text or whatever that comes close to even the accuracy of God's word. And they're showing this after over and over and over again. And they're believing the word of God. And they heard this and they were glad and they were glorified. Verse 49, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Published, verbally spoken. Hey, you got to hear this. We need more of these Torah scrolls. We need more of these. We need to find out these. But the Jews stirred up, and this is the unbelieving Jews, stirred up uh, the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of the coast. Now, not only is there a shift, just watch the, subtle, watch the subtlety of the Holy Spirit who really wrote the Bible using men. And so here... He started off as Barnabas and Saul, then it's Barnabas and Paul, and now Paul takes a prominent position here. And so here, so Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them out of their coast. 
But they shook off the dusts of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. So those that they had left there are filled with joy and the Holy Ghost. And what do they do? I think it's back in what? Uh, Matthew, uh, uh, Matthew uh, I think it's chapter 10, verse 14. I believe this, but that's what Jesus said. When you go, you, it was again, you shake off the dust. In other words, I don't even want the very dust from this city on you. And that was a rebuke to them. But the disciples that they had made, that, that have, again, they're, they're following Jesus. They believe is the Messiah and they're filled with joy. And that's another identifying thing. And so look at chapter 14. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogues of the Jews. And so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. So there was what we would call God-fearers. These believing Greeks are there at the synagogue because even in this religion, and, and we're not even talking Mosaic religion, we're talking rabbinical Judaism, even in that there's, there, there is something that they're, they're worshiping one God. They have all these other gods, that they cry to, they pray to, they seek, and they, and they never answer them. And it says, you know, this Jewish community, these Jewish people here, they seem to have something. And they're attracted to that. And so here, both Jews and Greeks also, they believe. Verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their uh, minds evil, affected against the brethren. Why is that? Well, because, again, this is going to come against their, their status in life. This is going to come against their position. And it's never changed. We see this all the way back with uh, Jesus. It, 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 if we don't do something about this Jesus, paraphrased by check, the Romans will come and take away our position. They'll come and take away our possession. They'll come and take away our status here. If this really takes off, and this really is, so we got to do something about that, or the Romans are going to, Again, and then Gamaliel, who the Apostle Paul studied under, said, hey, if this thing is of God, you're not going to be able to stop it. But if this thing is of man, he goes, look, it's just going to fade away. Not realizing that God was using one of the devil's own pawns to prophesy, and he goes, it was. He says, it's expedient for one man to die for, you know, Israel. Not for the sins of Israel, just, hey, if this Jesus dies because he's an insurrectionist, he's doing all these things, then great. He'll leave the rest of us alone. That's all he was thinking there. But yet now we can look back at his words and go, dude, you were, you were saying words of God you didn't even realize. You meant it for something else. But he really was the savior of the world. And so they said, hey, leave him alone. So the Sanhedrin got together and said, we're going to take your advice. So they still beat him and told him not to preach in the name of Jesus. But they went back with, filled with joy. What? And they went back and showed the stripes and showed the beatings that they endured. They're like, we must be doing the right thing here. Look, he tells us here, verse 3, Long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So they're there for quite some time. They've already left one place. Now they're making more disciples here. But the multitude of the city was divided and, and, and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. Really, this isn't an, an academic thing. This really does come down to a heart level issue. I've had people that I've been able to share the gospel with. I've had guys that they, they repeated everything I had to say and go, yeah, I just don't want that. I, I just think if I do that, I won't, I won't have any more fun. I won't, I, and it's going to get in the way of my plans. 
You say, I have plans of doing this and doing that. And I, and I just still, and I'm like, well, why wouldn't God be doing something in your life right now that might be fulfilled only in him? It's not going to come to pass. No, I've got other things in the way. And so that's the whole thing that's coming down. And now again, they're going to the Jews and then, they're gonna, and, and then the, the Greeks are there, but we're going to see here shortly, they just bypass the Jews and they go to places like Lystra and they just start preaching to the Greeks. And remember that culture. Remember as I'm saying that Paul, as we're finishing up Ephesians this next week on Thursday nights, but the, the culture that Paul is going into and what he's talking about, we're talking about the Roman culture. We're talking about a wife was just, you had a legal wife to procreate, to have kids. You had a, uh, other concubines. You had other women for your, uh, your physical pleasure and, and fantasies, whatever you wanted. You had uh, hedonism. And it, was, and it was all normal. Could you imagine being a father or mother raising your daughter? Well, what do you want to be? You want to be a wife or do you want to be a courtesan? That, that was your decision. In other words, you, how are you going to make it in life? Now, understand if you're going to be a legal wife, you're there to have kids, and you'll be taken care of, but there's not going to be any love or intimacy that's going on there. And then, or do you want pleasure? Do you want to just be, uh, have your sexual appetite fulfilled and fill, fulfill the others? That's your plight as a woman. Christianity, wherever Christianity is preached, it liberates all these women. You're much more than that. You're not even that. You're a child of God, and you're going to be experiencing so much more of that. So where true Christianity is preached all over the world, it actually gives liberty and freedom, and it actually gives men and women a real actual life here. And so here they're coming into theirs, and we see that, but the multitude of the city was divided. Verse 5, and when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also the Jews, with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. Question is your conviction, is your moral compass, is your religion one that you have to physically incite violence and control people and do those things for people to follow you or believe you or to withstand that? Withstand that? No. That should tell you all about someone's religion and their relationship with God if they have to use force by means to keep people in line. And so here's the Gentiles and the Jews doing the exact same thing to these who are doing no better. If you go through history, Claudius, we're going to see later in Acts, kicked out of uh, Jews and, and Christians out of Rome, out of the main capital city of Rome. Said so that they're, they're insurrectionists, they're disloyal. But yet all the spies we know from documentation, from reports, from the spies who were planted in the, the Christian groups actually told Claudius that, listen, these Christians are, are, are your loyals, your, your best citizens. They aspire to be best citizens. And they do honor the king. They don't worship you, but they do honor the king. They're actually law-abiding. If a person becomes a Christian, their whole life and worldview changes. And they see you as someone that God has established and put here as a government. But they also realize that he can also take you out. And they trust the Lord when it comes to that. And so here, we see here that the Jew and Gentile alike are despitefully using them. They're persecuting. They're physically beating them. And they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Iconium, and unto the region that, was, uh, that uh, lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man. So here, we're going to go here. They're, they're not going into the synagogues, whether there was a synagogue there or not, but they just started preaching. And it, just a little note, preaching, we're going to see here, is for the lost. 
Teaching is for the saved, giving them instruction. I, I, can't give, I can't teach somebody something until they are first preached to, until they are first, again, brought into the light and do these things. You can't give. The word of God, as many have taken it over my 42 years of, of a Christian, are not principles, are not laws of God that, that uh, he has to abide by. And if you do these things, and you can see, you can see, well, when there were bookstores, especially the Christian bookstores, the, the, the theological and the Bible section got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and you had to order your stuff, and the self-help and your best life now, and while well, you can be a better this and a better that, and, and how to improve, and oh my goodness, were you around? I mean, are you old enough to remember the prayer of Jabez? Oh, people went crazy on that one. People said, you read the, read the prayer of Jabez? Two verses, two verses in the Bible, and a 92-page book was written. Two verses, and, that, and all it was, the prayer of Jabez, that you would expound my boundaries. And so people are like, I'm praying the prayer of Jabez. And like, so people say, no, have you ever, Pastor, have you read the book of Jabez? No, but actually I'm watching the lives of people who have. That's why I won't read the prayer of Jabez. Because I'm watching. Listen, if, and again, this is just a side note, if, if the Chosen series was really all that in a bag of falafel chips, Mission field would be crowded. Churches would be crowded. All this accolades of like, it's bringing me closer to God. And I've, I have understand God. And now I can, you know, all these, all these adjectives and the things are used. Then why aren't there more people saved? Why aren't the churches filled? Why aren't the mission fields? Why aren't there more churches planted? Why aren't there more going on? If it's really doing all those things that people are saying. So I don't really watch the series of the chosen, but I watch the people who do. And I see their lives get insulary, insulary, protective. Do you realize what's happened, not just with the chosen, but in the last decade? And check, check your own hearts with this. People are more concerned with their immediate family and their possessions and their surroundings than they are in the mission field, sharing the gospel and doing other things. Get into this whole hunker down mentality. I've watched Christians go to be the Christian preppers. My question is, you're really going to shoot someone over your box of macaroni and cheese? If you want to share the gospel, buy more food because there's going to be people who are hungry and you got to go to sleep sooner or later. And I see all this self, self, self when we need to be divesting of self. So I'll put it out here. There's not one person here. I've not met one person in my entire life who had ever had a problem with self-esteem. Well, what about those people who think really poorly of themselves? They have too much self-esteem. I just They're constantly self. You are constantly. And the epitome of self-esteem, suicide. You're thinking way too much about yourself and not the lives that are affected around you. And so here, he tells them here that, that they were assaulted by the Gentiles and the Jews. They were made aware of it. So then they go to Lishbri. And, and wouldn't you, if you were being persecuted here, wouldn't you just kind of go to the next city and let's just kind of like, let's just kind of fit in. They just go for it, man. They just start preaching. They start telling them what's going on here. And they were aware of it. And so here, and there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being of a cripple from his mother's womb, and never had walked. And the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, 
and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and he walked from nothing to walking. And so we see this. And and then when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in the speech of the Laodicea, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. What? This is a miracle here. So look what they start doing. And they called Barnabas Jupiter, which uh, the Greeks would say Zeus, and Paul Mercury in Greek, he would be Hermes, but he was the, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and, and, and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. When the, the apostles, interesting, Barnabas and Saul, apostles, we know, again, this, again, apostleship, means to be in sent ones. There's the apostles of Jesus Christ who were directly sent by Jesus Christ. And then there's apostolic where those are you and I are mean sent ones and sent in the messengers. And so here are the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard a, that they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out and saying, sirs, what do we, what do these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without a witness and that he did good and he gave us rain and he gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And when these sayings uh, scarce uh, uh, restrained them, they, they, the people that they were not done sacrificing to them. So it couldn't restrain them. Now, again, being Greek and studying Greek mythology and just what you did when you don't have a religion and you're looking for something in life. This is, and you can look this up online, uh, online this is the, the legend of Lystra. The legend of Lystra is that the gods came and visited Lystra. And they were mistreated by everyone in, in Lystra. And except for this one elderly couple who took them in, who took in Zeus and Hermes or uh, Jupiter or uh, uh, Mercury. And so they, they took them in. And it's the tradition or the legend says that it was upon their house that the temple of Jupiter was built. But the legend of Lystra is, is that they wiped everybody out. You mistreated everyone. You mistreated us. You did not recognize this. And so now here they are. They're thinking the gods have visited them. Oh, we're not going to do this again. We're going we're to start sacrificing. We're going to do, we're gonna, I mean, they were just going overboard. And so here's this man who's walking. They're like, this is great. The gods have visited us. And Paul and, and Barnabas say, no, no, no. We're men just like you of like passions. No, they rent their clothes. Look, look, flesh and blood, flesh and blood. We're right there with you. Well, let's see how they turn here. They didn't stop sacrificing in verse 19, and there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. Not the Antioch that they were sent from, but that other Antioch that they had already traveled through there. And so the people uh, and Iconium, who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Now, Paul alludes to this in Galatians. He says, I still bear in my body the marks of that time. 
He tells us in 2 Corinthians, he says, I rather not know, I don't know whether in the body or out of the body, but I went up to heaven and, and I saw these things, things I can't even utter. So we believe that he's on this t- at this time here. That they thought that he would be dead. In verse 20, Howbeit, as the disciples stood around him, he rose up and came into the city. The next day, he departed with Barnabas under Derby. Wait a minute. They just killed you in there. I don't know, maybe you're forgetting the plot here, but I died. God brought me back. Let's go back in the city. Now, I like Paul, because that's exactly what I would do. I'm going to go freak them out and just, you know, sh- uh, hey, remember me? Uh-huh. Still here. What do they do? That, so I would. So I don't know if that's what Paul would do, but that's how I'm thinking I would do. But he goes back in. You can't, you can't stop God. And then he goes on to Derby. Uh, you know, go in peace. But look how they went. They went from rejoicing, thinking that their gods did this, to realizing it wasn't their gods, and now they just turn on them. And then the others, who again, follow the money, are losing their position and status of, oh, this is true. And so they're stirring them up and causing this. They, these guys are charlatans, they're false, they're this, they're that. And in verse 23, and then when they had ordained them, elders in every church and had prayed with the fasting that commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed throughout Pisidia, they came to uh, Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Phrygia, they went down to Attilia and went to the coast there and then sailed to Antioch from whence they had uh, been. Recommended to the grace of God for the work which they had fulfilled. So the, these guys come back two years later. Now, no one's never has ever done this before. And so from Acts chapter 13 to the, all the way to the end of chapter 14, we're talking two years easily minimum. And they don't take, when they come back, they don't take the easiest way back to get on the ship to sail back to Antioch there. Uh, but they take even the hardest one. So they, they take that, what we say, the road less traveled. They would take the harder way around. And again, they're preaching the gospel. They're sharing Jesus with the Jews. They've tried to say, listen, everything in the Old Testament, it's here right here. Let me show you what this means, what that means. And they're, and they're doing that. Because the first 12 chapters of Acts, the Jews just kept it amongst themselves. And they're like, yeah, this is, this is all us. From chapters 13 through 28, we're going to see a lot of interpreting the scripture of saying this is what it is, this is the prophecy to Jews, but then to the Gentiles. They first have to show them, listen, you know about Jews, you know we've been around for a long time, you know we have the Torah scrolls, you see the lives, but look at this, this it was prophesied here, it was said here, it was done here, this is what happened. And they believed. Why is that? Hey, take a note, Christian. It's not intelligence. It's not an intellectual pursuit. As you're sharing your faith with others, it's, yes, it's good to know the scriptures. You best know the scriptures. Jesus says, hey, don't worry about what to say in that time. I'll bring back to remembrance all that I've said to you. If you don't read the scriptures, he said absolutely nothing to you. You can quote all you want of every Bible movie you saw, quote every episode of The Chosen. It's not what Jesus will be bringing back to you. It is the word of God, and that's why the word of God needs to be in you. And that's why when we've already gone through Colossians, he said, let the word of God dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish and encourage one another. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Do these things. And so here, they're going to go back and they're going to share everything with them. But then the other thing it comes down to is that they're ordaining elders in all these churches. 
If you remember, again, I quote him a lot, but David Livingston, my favorite missionary, and what he did in trying to find new trade routes through the middle of Africa so people would stop slave trading. It really didn't take, but he led people to the Lord. But he found people that have like a shepherd's heart, a shepherd's life, and they like that, and they would, and he would tell them things. Well, it's one man and one woman. You have five wives. Reading the journals of David Livingston, said he had one chief, well, plenty of chiefs, but one in particular. The, the guy was gifted, gifted. He cared about his tribe. He cared about his village. He cared about people, and he cared about his six wives. And he says, well, if you desire to be a pastor, you desire to be a bishop, a leader, an elder, you're going to need to put away five of your six wives and choose one. And he turned away from the Lord and kicked David Livingston out of that village. He said, I can't, I can't, I won't do that. And if this is what God calls me to do, it's just too hard. Listen, you will encounter people who, are, who have lives contrary to the word of God, but we are to, as Paul says, we are to daily conform into the image of Christ. There's some people who will never be pastors, they'll never be elders, they'll never be leaders in the church because they won't conform to the word of God. They won't conform to the life of Jesus. They won't do that. They're Christians. They're, they're, they're gonna lead people to the Lord. They're gonna tell people about Jesus, but there's gonna be something debilitating about their walk that they just will not give up. And so that's, the, that's what Barnabas and Paul are going into Polygamy, polygamy. Now listen, polygamy is not banned, I would say, outright in the Bible. However, First and Second Timothy and Titus, if you desire to be a leader in the church, to be a pastor or a shepherd, it's one man and one woman. I have that. I've gone to other countries and there's guys who have a couple of wives and they're really well taken care of and I'm like, well, you will never aspire to this. And there are some people who are gifted, gifted people, but they're in prison for the rest of their life, leading great Bible studies. And there's others that, that are gifted because of the decisions and choices they've made. They're, they're in prison for the rest of their life. I said, well, now you have a prison ministry. And yet, I, you know, but I desire to be married and have kids. And, and you can, as a prisoner, get married out and have conjugal visits and, and do that. But I've, I've, I've advised many a convicts. I said, but you understand, if you get, who's going to take care of your wife and children when you're doing these things? And I've heard the argument over, but I have all these desires and wants. And, you know, why wouldn't God want me to? There's just certain things that you are going to be banned from when it comes to, I guess, being a leader in the church. You know, I, I do the things. Someone saw a call upon my life early on. And I was horrible with finances. I mean, because I just, I grew up in a, in a crime family, so all you do is just get more money. When you say, you need some money, how much? This much or that much? This much or that much? That was it. Oh, just grab out of the bag and just this much of that. And so I was just always, I had hustles going. I just always had money coming in. And the fact the guy who was disciple, and when it came to says, listen, you're going you're, you're gonna to get married. They met Kimberly, the fictitious woman that no one knew, you know. Took her three months before she visited the church from Arizona to California. And they're like, okay, this is real. And after they met Kimberly, they're like, okay, listen, you're, you're going to be married and you have kids and you're not going to stay married. And I had to humble myself. I mean, this, this, this bro took me and says, you, 
You borrow money from other people in the church to lend it to the people who no one would lend money to. And now you're on the hook and they don't ever pay you back. But they, they need it. He goes, no, just because you have money doesn't necessarily, that, that's what God's calling you to do, to give that person. And so I would do those things. And so he took me aside. For six months, I, I couldn't cash my own paycheck. For six months, I had to come to his house every Friday and hand him my paycheck and then he would deposit it into an account that he had set up for me that I didn't have access to, and he would hand me $20. This is back in the 80s. He says, you have $20. Live on this for the week. All right, come here. And then he would go grocery shopping with me if I needed it and stuff. And so he would do things, but he would not let me. It was six months before I was ever allowed to go to the bank myself on Friday and deposit my check and take out $20. And I had to show him. And before I, the following week, before I, he would give me the $20, he would say, show me your books. And I'd have to show him how I spent all of that $20 in cash. And if I said, I, if I could only account for $18, he goes, okay, well, here's $18. You can't be trusted with it. That was another four months. So I'm talking, you know, 10 months of this until finally... I could not only deposit my own check, do these things, and, I would, and, I would, and then it got to the point where I would sit at his house every Friday and write out all my checks for all my bills that I had and the people I was paying back and doing these things. And it just over and over again. And I was into him for about 1,200 bucks. And so he says, I tell you what, you come and do this and I'll forgive that 1,200 bucks. But you're gonna work for it. And he did that. He says, and I go, he says, check, there is a call upon your life and you will be a pastor." And I was already knew I was probably being an assisting pastor. I was already a deacon. I was doing youth ministry. He goes, but I think there's a call for you. He says, the Bible says if you cannot manage your own household, you can't manage the household of God. You don't, you're not one way at church and another way at home. And if you desire that to be a, a home fellowship leader, to be a youth leader, to be a deacon, you, your finances need to be in control. And the finances aren't the issue. The finances are the magnifying glass. The, the finances are the symptoms. How I handle finances demonstrates to everyone else all the other undisciplined areas in my life. Whereas, whereas I could just, I remember he says, well, you're not, you're not going to be able to afford a wife and children. And I go, okay, well, I'll just go make more money. And he goes, chick, you just don't say you're going to make more money. So, well, I just, I will. I'll just, I'll just make more money. Because you, you, that just, that doesn't make more money show up. Challenge accepted. <laughs> and after about a month, he goes, yeah, you make more money. I just, you could have made all this money before. Yeah, I could have made all that money before. And you weren't? No. Says, you're just, so I just worked harder, did more things, and, and, and just made more money. And he says, now, great. Doesn't mean your lifestyle changes. Now you can afford certain things. And that's where I'm at today. That's why I can pastor it. That's why I can run the finances. My, my funniest is this guy right over here, Eric, my children's minister. His daytime job is a lawyer, and he'll tell you keeping me out of jail is harder than being the children's minister. Amen? But when we secured a loan for our coffee house, I had to go into the bank, and I had to find people with degrees, all right? And I had to put them on my, uh, like a, the advisory board because the banker says, I got to have people with degrees. So I got Eric, he had one. I had uh, Jim Fisher, I think you were one. I had a couple of other guys. And then we went to this meeting, Eric and I, and we're, and we're doing this whole loan thing. And the banker would ask a question and Eric would just look over to me and I would just 
flip through the papers, and I would tell him it's this and this and that. Hour-long meeting, every question he addressed to Eric, the lawyer, Eric would just look at me, and I would answer all the questions. And by the end of the meeting, the loan officer goes, why are you here? Your response was, I'm here to make you feel better. He runs the church. He has all the answers. I'm here to make it. When we back later to negotiate more money, he says, yeah, you don't need to bring Eric or anyone else. Just come on in. But that's because somebody saw a call in my life and he says, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be an elder. You don't have to be a home fellowship leader. You have to be a deacon. You don't have to be any of those things. You can be a pew potato. You can be saved. You, you have the gift of evangelism. Uh, you're, just, uh, you're just an old Marine. You shoot and scoot. So evangelism, you don't stick around in people's lives. You just evangelize, get people saved. They don't have to see what a wreck your finances are. You just shoot and, shoot and go. Shoot and scoot, as we say that. And you do all that. But there's a call upon your life, and I see that. And I'm here to this day. And you can look at the books and you can look at the finances. You can look at my personal finances. You can look at the church's finances. And we know to the penny. By every Tuesday, by the afternoon, we know where every penny is. We know where everything is. If anyone ever wants to come in and look at the stuff, that's there. That's because somebody took me. And I'll tell you this. More pastors have been taken out of ministry over financial issues and integrity when it comes to that than immorality. Oh, we hear the big cases and this pastor fell into sin. And I can tell you quietly, more ministers, more pastors, Calvary Chapel included, have been taken out because of their, they didn't fulfill their fiduciary responsibility financially or their fiduciary responsibility as a pastor to their flock. So here, this is why we see in First and Second Timothy and Titus, Paul writing those and putting very detailed things. Why? because he could see a call in people's lives. They didn't know all of what is now, what they know now is the Old Testament, but they saw shepherds in them. They saw elders in them. They saw these things and said, listen, if you, if you want to be this, then here's God's word. The world told you one thing and you married many women and you did all types of things and you were still, now listen, I, I had a shepherd's heart. I was a very benevolent criminal. I mean, just very benevolent. Uh, if you didn't pay up, I would drive you to the hospital. I just wouldn't leave you, all right? I was very benevolent when it came time to collecting or doing deals with one another. I, was, I took care of people. I was the, they would call me like a, a, a little shepherd. You know, I would, I would, they call me a doctor. I would go and doctor. I would take care of people even in the midst of my criminal activities. But you did the time in jail, not me. I just, there was a line I drew. I just, and so, and, and so God, did something. And so that's my application. That's what I see here is that Barnabas and Paul could see some certain things in people's lives. But if you desire this, hey, I would encourage you, First and Second Timothy and Titus, read those things. I would encourage you as well, young men, if you want to be married someday, First and Second Timothy and Titus are great books. Young ladies, you want to marry some guy? See if he's in the book. See if he's in the Bible. Look at First and Second Timothy and Titus and see if he's already doing that. And remember, as we're finishing up Ephesians on Thursdays, look at the world Paul's coming into and the Roman, Greek, Hellenized world. And he's telling people, you need to conform to this. There's got to be a standard. It's got to be a standard. You know, as I teach people to fly, and I do this from time to time with the students, we'll be flying into an airport 
and there'll be a control tower there, and and control tower would say, all right, uh, Cessna, whatever, whatever, turn turn left uh, and uh, fly heading zero nine zero, and and I, <laughs> some of the local towers know me around here. I make sure it's not crowded you know, radio frequencies. And I go, you narrow-minded, dogmatic, fundamentalist air traffic controller. I'm flying the plane. I can fly any way that I want. I can land anywhere I want. How dare you tell me to turn left to 090 to line up with the runway? You narrow-minded, dogmatic, fundamentalist, air traffic controller. And the students look at me like, what, what are you doing? And then some of the air traffic controllers, I got one up in Anoka. He's pretty fun. He plays along, but and they just like, goes, well, that's true. You can land anywhere you want. But there's only one way. There's only one way to come into this airport and land on. There's only one runway to land on. What do you mean there's only one way? How confining is that to tell me that there's only one way to land this? And the controller will play along. All right, fine. It's okay to be narrow-minded when you're right, I see. And I land and stuff like that. And the student's like, what are you doing there? And it says, you get that. You see how weird that is? There's only one way to land. There's only one way to fly an airplane. Yeah. Well, don't get upset when I tell you, Jesus Christ said of himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And only one, only, only men can come unto the Father is through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the door. There's only one way. So you get it here in this world. So don't give me any static about saying there's all types of religions and there's all types of stuff. And I'm like, man. I learned more than how to fly a plane today. Now you understand my prayer before we took off. Lord, let us have a good flight lesson. And either way this plane lands, I know I'll be home. Help my student out. And they're like, oh my goodness. They come. I recognize certain things. I recognize. And so if someone recognizes something in your life, don't, don't be grudging of maybe the help that they're trying to come alongside you. You will be taken and out of the way. You will be sidelined if you don't get these issues taken care of. Now let's finish up Romans 14. And when they, verse 27, and when they, had, when they were come and, and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. <laughs> and there they abode a long time with the disciples. About another four or five years. So chapters 13 and 14 took about two years to accomplish, and they spent time. You might see something in another person's life. You, the Bible tells us, older men teach the younger men, older women teach the younger women. You might see something. And faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And it's humbling, and it was embarrassing for someone to take me to do finances and to do these things, and it, and it, it would get around church. Oh, hey, how are you doing today? And uh, you still going to Brother Bob for your money? Yeah. Like, really? I need some help. And then secretly, guys started going to, like Nicodemus, to Jesus. And, I, and secretly going to, going to Bob. Hey, can you, can you do the same thing? Can you help me out here? And I got all these kinds of problems. So listen, when you're presented with these things, just go all in. Just go all in and say, okay, this is what the Bible says. This is coming up on my life someday. I got to get control of these finances. And all finances are, that's not the issue. That's just a symptom. And that just shows you every other area of your life. Someone who doesn't support, tithe, give to others, provide for the needs of others, and they're only just considered about themselves, I can tell you there's a lot of other issues in their life. And some can hide it, like I did. 
Some can hide it. Just make more money. And you can throw a lot of money at it, but you don't realize how poor your witness and your testimony is. And you need to be faithful with that which God has given you. Paul is starting churches, Paul and Barnabas, and they're taking guys who don't know the Bible as well as he does, but he sees the call upon our life. I'll leave you with this. God equips the called. Listen, God equips the called. If you are called, God will equip you. Many think it's the other way around. I need to go get this degree. I need to go get this thing, and now I'm qualified to do these things. No, God equips the called. And if you're called to something, God will equip you for it. Where God guides, God provides. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning and just another opportunity to come before you and give you all the glory that's due your name. Lord Jesus, just do the work in each and every one of our lives. And God, equip each and every one of us here, Lord, for what you have called us to do. I praise you and I thank you for those others that have been in my life that I'm able to stand here today. So thank you, Lord. Bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.